This morning is a sermon from Ephesians, and we are in the third chapter of Ephesians, verse number 14. Today I'm going to be talking about finding inner strength. When Paul prays for the Ephesian church, he doesn't pray about their circumstances. He doesn't pray about their problems. He does not address their obstacles. But instead what Paul does is he prays that they would have inner strength, that they would be empowered to deal with the obstacles, the hurdles, the challenges, and the things that come up in their life. And I think that's a powerful thing for us to consider when we think about um, what we want to give our children, what we want to give our teenagers, is we, the greatest gift we could give anyone, pass on, is inner strength. As I think about what I would hope for you this morning, I certainly care about the things that you're enduring in your life. I care about the things that trouble you, the obstacles you're facing, the things you want to accomplish in your life. But the greatest gift I could give you is the gift of inner strength. Another word for inner strength is the word resilience. Inner strength is the fight that is in you to keep fighting when you've been knocked down. It's the strength in you to get up when you've been knocked down. It's the strength to keep moving when every part of you says stop and give up. It's the part of you that keeps hoping when all others around you have lost hope. It's the part that brings courage to your heart when everyone around you is discouraged. That is inner strength. In Paul here, if you will look in chapter 3, verse 14, he prays the second prayer of this great letter. He says, I, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, and I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of the unlimited resources that God has for us, I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That would be my prayer this morning. My prayer this morning is that you'd be able to access that power, that you would find the strength that you need, not just to live your life, not just to survive in your life, but to thrive in your life. It's not just that God wants you to overcome your troubles, overcome your hardships, but it's that, that God has put a dream and a desire and a passion, something for you to do with your life. He's made you, he's chosen you for a purpose. And not only to have the inner strength and stamina, the resilience to, to overcome things, but also to do great things. Later at the end here, this verse will tell us that we can do more than we imagine because God, because God, is able. So today I want to talk about inner strength. Uh, a few a few uh, months ago, I decided I wasn't going to read any more th books on theology. No more theology. I'm done with it. No more theology books. I probably disappoint you to hear that from your minister. But I've been reading theology for 30 years. I'm not going to say I'm not going to pick it up again. But I've got a library full at home, full of books. I've got an office full of books, and I decided instead to just start reading the stories, novels and stories about real people, real life, doing real things. 
And so I went back as I was preparing this message, and I realized that there's sort of a theme present in all the books I've been reading. Now, mind you, I didn't have a, a these are the six books I'm going to read over the next six, eight weeks, 12 weeks or whatever. I would read a book, and someone would say, did you read this one? Did you read? And it just one led to another. And I realized there's one thing that pulls them all together, and it's this, this fire inside the main characters, this strength in them. first one I read was about a, a, a young man who grew up in South Sudan who is one of the lost boys. Uh, about, it was a story about genocide and horror and destruction and sadness and how he, the obstacles he had to endure to cross the desert and to come to the United States where he now lives as a refugee and has now built an incredible ministry back in South Sudan. Read then a story about a, a young man that goes to the University of Washington and joins a, a rowing club and wins an Olympic medal during the Great Depression and what he had to overcome to um, overcome the rejection of his father and the death of his mother, his internal sadness, his longing for his mom and dad and for love. After that, I read a book about a sea captain who sailed to the southernmost part of the world and got trapped in a block of ice and saved every one of his men after an incredible journey of endurance and suffering. Then I read a book about a climb to the top of the mountain, Mount Everest. By the way, if you ever want to read, uh, ever think about climbing a mountain, you should probably read into thin air and then you will never want to do it. Uh, I had no idea. Almost everybody in the book dies except the guy that wrote the book. Uh, and, and then after that, I read a book about the Korean War, about two great war heroes. And right now I'm reading a book, probably the best book, one of the best books I've ever read called All the Light I Cannot See, which is about a blind girl. This is a fiction, won the Pulitzer 2015. And uh, it's about a blind girl whose father is the locksmith of the Natural Museum of Science and History during the Nazi occupation and the inner drive in her to survive. One of the things that I find, the, 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 the compelling story in all of human history, those who move the ball, those who move things along, are not people who have a perfect and charm life, who are born with riches and resources unimaginable, but are people who somehow or another are able to find a passion inside of them to live their life in spite of everything. Beat up, bedraggled, uh, hardships, suffering, just like everybody else, some more than others, but who have this sort of inner drive and inner spirit and inner strength to just keep going in spite of it all and in spite of all the odds, manage to bless the lives of other people. Wouldn't that be a great thing to be able to give to the people that you love? If you could give them any gift, that gift. If you read about Paul's life, you'll see that this is something that Paul talks about a lot. Paul often talks about how God's Strength is made visible in his weakness. That when he is at his weakest, Christ's presence is most powerful and is at its strongest. And there's this wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, one of my favorites, where it says, he says that all of us are these earthen vessels, clay pots, imperfected, imperfect, cracked, but he said that, that God's power or his love for us, what he's done for us in Jesus, is put inside our clay pots, clay, our earthen bodies, our, our human bodies. His power lives in us so that when people look at us, they can see that the power in us does not belong to us, but someone beyond us that gives us our strength. 
And then Paul goes on and says, because that power is in him and is in us, because of what Christ has done for us, we're crushed, but we're not destroyed. We're perplexed and persecuted, but we go on. And we have life in spite of what life does to us. That's what he's talking about here when he talks about strengthening your inner spirit. And I know that some of you walked in here this morning barely able to get through the door. I know that some of you this morning woke up and it was hard for you to get out of bed. I know that some of you this morning are going to go to a job that you don't think you can work another day. I know that some of you are facing things in your life right now with your family and your friends and you think, I don't think I can go on. I know that some of you are hanging on to the fringes of hope while all the others around you have have lost their hope. I know that some of you, there, there, there is a dream inside of you and you don't want that dream to die. I know. So today, Paul is praying for us that we will gather inner strength. So let's take this apart. We're going to work through this. And I want you to see the power of this prayer. Paul here in chapter 3, when he begins this prayer, says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. And I want to pause here for some time. When he says, for this reason, this is very, very important. Because he says, I'm kneeling in prayer for this reason. And what is the reason? It's everything that we've just read. It's all that he's talked about in the first two chapters. What he's talking about that has driven him to his knees in prayer is all that God has done for him and done for us. The whole beginning of the first part of Ephesians Paul is trying to say to you, don't you understand how blessed you are? God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. The God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, he found you when you were forgotten. He dug you up when you were buried. He's given you new life. And even when you were dead and cut off and separated from hope and from God in this world, God gave up his most precious, beautiful possession that, he, that belonged to him for you to recover you, to redeem you, to bring you into his family. What he says there in those first two chapters is that God has looked all over the earth and he's gathering people together from all different backgrounds, all different places. He's making dead people live, forming a new humanity and a new people to bring his message of love to the world and that you get to be a part of it. And he does this not because you're good or because I'm good, but because he is good. And so Paul is saying, for all these reasons, I get down on my knees and I thank him. To God be the glory for all God has done. And so you need to understand that when Paul says, I kneel before the Father, that this would have been an unusual term to those who would be reading this. Because in in the first century, when Jews prayed, they prayed standing up. They didn't kneel. And so when he says, for this reason I kneel, he's basically saying, I have been brought to my knees by what I share with you. He's talking about passion. Have you ever had a moment in your life when your heart was so stirred by something that it made you weak in the knees? 
something in your life that was so awesome, so spectacular, so unexpected, that it just it caused you to stumble and you, you just wanted to go, to, you couldn't do anything but go to your knees and just, and just be like, you're caught up in the moment, oh, oh my God. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying three things about this passion. The first thing he's saying is essentially that when I think about all that God has done for me, when I think about his grace, when I think about who I was and what I am now, when I think about the life I have, I think about the life I did have, when I think about all the things I've overcome, all the things that I've been through, when I think about my life and think about how I should have been turned out, rejected, left for dead, left behind, and I think that God reached down and picked me, chose me, gave me his grace, redeemed me, saved me, gave me a new life. He said, I am just, I just can't do anything but fall to my knees. And when I read that and when I thought about that this week, I thought to myself, if we read the first two chapters of Ephesians, and our passion is not stirred by what he's done for us and does not drop us to our knees, then I've done a really poor job of explaining to you what God has done for you. I mean, when we walk in here to worship and we think about all that he said in the first part of this letter and about who he is and who we are and all his, his amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When we think about those things, and I, when I preach about those things, if it doesn't compel you to want to be on your knees in gratitude to give God the glory, if it doesn't, then I have done a poor job of explaining it to you, or perhaps we just have not fully been able to grasp it. Uh, The second thing I would say there is that the reason Paul says this is that Paul is so overwhelmed by what God has done for him, he knows what God can do for them. He drops to his knees because he wants them to have what he has. You see what I mean? Paul has found a power at work in him that has transformed his life, that is so incredible, so rich, so beautiful, that he has endured great hardship for it, suffered greatly for it, given his whole life for it. And when he thinks about all that God can do for people and for the church at Ephesus, he just falls to his knees to pray for them. In fact, if you go back, there's a really touching scene in the book of Acts. If you read toward the end of the book of Acts, Paul spends three years in Ephesus. He's driven out of town by a a crowd of people who are trying to kill Paul. Paul is determined to go back to Jerusalem. And as he's passing close to Ephesus on board a ship, the Ephesian elders go out to see Paul. And they meet him as he's, he's about to leave for Jerusalem. And their, their relationship is so tender, they weep for him. Because they don't think they will ever see him again. And Paul has such love for the Ephesian church, he's writing back to them and he's saying, when I think of what I want to give you, what I, my heart's greatest desire for you is that you, you would be strengthened on the inside by his power. I want you to know him. All that... I, I want to know that I did a good job of telling you that. I want to know that you got it before I leave this earth. Let me tell you, 
if we think about the people in our life, the people, the people that we love, our children, our neighbors, our parents, our friends, if knowing what we know about Jesus and his unconditional love for all people doesn't send us to our knees to pray that they would have it, I'm not sure we understand what we have to give away. I'm not sure we have it ourselves. I mean, don't we want to be on our knees and to say, I want my son, I want my son to have a great college education, but I, and I know that will be important for his life. But if he knows God, he'll have what he needs. He can do anything with his life if he knows God. It'll be great to have an education. It'll be great for him to have a career. It'd be great. But I know he's going to face adversity in his life. And I know that if you have God's power in him, he'll, he'll have what he He'll figure it out. We want all these other things for our kids, for our children, for our family, for our friends. But don't we want them to know the God of the universe? Shouldn't that drive us to our knees to begin to pray for our families, to pray for the people we love, to pray for our city? Our city is hurting and dying with an opioid problem. People are dying every day overdosing. People are shooting. There's so much pain in our city. Shouldn't it drive our church to our knees to pray for our world, that the world would know him? I, I hope I'm not wearing yet because I'm, 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 I'm stirred. I'm stirred by it. I'm stirred by what I read. I'm convicted. I'm convicted. I'm not trying to entertain. I'm convicted. Convicted. The third part then is, he basically says, I get to be a part of this. God has chosen to redeem the earth for God so loved the world. And he says, earlier on he says, of all the people that God could have picked to bring his message, me. I was on the road to Damascus and I had hate in my heart. And for whatever reason, the God of the universe, instead of condemning me and sending somebody to kill me, he took me to my knees and said, I have chosen you, Saul, to be a light to the Gentiles, to bring the gospel. And so Paul is looking back on his life and Paul is thinking, Oh my goodness gracious, look at where my life was headed and look how he picked me to bring this. When I think about that, it just, it just overwhelms me. It's too good to understand. How can I comprehend it? How can I, how can I even understand it? It drives him to his knees. Listen, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I think this is a job. I've been doing this for a long time. Sometimes I get tired. But every now and then when I read something like Paul, what Paul is writing here and I read about his life, I remember a 16-year-old kid, you know, no, an average kid, not a bad kid, not a great kid, just a kid on the side of a hill whose life was caught up in something bigger than himself, who heard about the love of Jesus from his minister and then one day, just on the side of the hill, felt God touch him on the shoulder and said, I just want you to do this. I want you to go tell people about me. I had no idea what he wanted for me. I just knew I was supposed to give myself to him. The next thing I know, I was, I was going to TCU. I was going to seminary. I was pastoring and teaching. I look back and I say, listen, 
I know there's a God because I wouldn't have picked me. And when I look at that, I think I get to be a part of this. I, I've stood at the bedside with wonderful people who are dying and prayed prayers with them on their last moment. I have stood with people in the baptistry and baptized people who have walked away from alcohol and drugs and addictions and found new life. I've been with families, and I've seen families come back together who are on the brink of divorce. I've stood with loved ones who have had loved ones commit suicide. I've stood there. I have seen lives changed by the, and I've got, I I get the privilege of being a part of that. It should drive me to my knees and just sheer gratitude. Thank you. And if we don't feel that, if we don't feel that the church is the hope of the world, there's something wrong with us. Because there is no other hope. Our hope is in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. He is the hope of the world. He is the light to the nations. And we have been called to be that. He chose you. He chose me. He chose Middletown Christian Church in 1836 when he started this church to be a beacon of light in this community. And knowing that he chose us should drop us to to our knees And if it doesn't, then I would say, I've done a pretty poor job of communicating it to you where we just have not understood. I look around the room and I wonder, with all that he's done for you, and those of you you who are still standing outside the baptistry, and you've not just surrendered your life and said, wash me, clean me, make me new. Why? Why are you waiting? Are you confident that you're going to be able to handle your life on your own? I don't know why those of you who have not been baptized don't just rush the altar, knowing that what's being offered. If you don't rush the altar, I haven't done an adequate job of explaining to you I'm not trying to convict you. I'm just, I'm just, I'm fired up. I'm passionate. I, Paul says here then, go back. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through your spirit. When Paul writes these words to them, they know, he know that he means business. They know that he has it, that he has what's inside Uh, In 2 Corinthians, you'll read in the latter part of the book, chapter 11, it says he's been beaten, shipwrecked, poisoned, floating on a life raft in the middle of the ocean. He's been pelted with stones, hit with rods. He's survived danger, fire, anything you can imagine. And he's had to deal with all these things, but he just keeps going. Why? He has this spirit in him, this inner spirit. And when we get to the third chapter, here's what's amazing about Paul. When you read the first two chapters, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know, he was in, you wouldn't know that he was in jail. But he's writing us in jail at the end of his life. He'll die within a couple of years, executed, head chopped off. He knows it's coming. He sees it. It's inevitable. He sees it coming, yet he never mentions it. If I were in a prison cell somewhere in another country facing my imminent demise, the first words out of my mouth in my letter back to you would be, I'm in trouble, help me. Not Paul, because he's driven by this passion for his inner strength. So when he says to them, don't be discouraged by my suffering. I want you to have inside of you 
what I have inside of me before I leave this earth. And here's it. He says, so here's how it, here's how it happens. Just dwell on these things. Our spirit is strengthened because Christ dwells in us. It's not something you have to ask for. He's already there. He's already done it. He's in you. And then he says that we would sink our roots in love. Man, we got our roots in all kinds of things. Our roots, if you're not bearing fruit in your life, it's because your roots are stuck in the wrong things. Rooted in love. He says, and I pray that you would grasp. Can you grasp, he says, just grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love. And to know it. To, to, to not know about it, but to know it, to feel it, to experience it. That surpass, is something that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that when people look at you and they see that clay vessel that you are, his life is just pouring out of your cracks. The broken pieces. You're filled full, overflowing with his fullness, the fullness of God. And here's the thing. It's all available to you, but you don't get it the easy way. And it doesn't come overnight. Just like gaining physical strength requires effort and suffering and hardship to gain physical strength over time, it's the same with resilience, inner strength. It's about coming before Him and confessing your sins and opening your heart and life to Him, failing getting knocked down, asking him to pick you up, inviting him into every part of your life, being a part of his church family, being a part of the body, being a part of the church, reading and studying his word. Your whole life is the laboratory where he grows you and fertilizes you and develops you and builds you. I can't give it to you. It's already in you. It's nurturing what's in you. Allowing him to continue to dwell in you, to develop you, to grow you, to begin to live in him. I love this last part. And there's a word here for somebody this morning. It says, it's now to him who is able. Who is it that he's talking about? Who is able? Who? You? A lot of you are struggling because you think you're able. Or you're struggling because you're disabled. But God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power worth work within who? Us. Not just you and me, but us. <laughs> what we're able to accomplish and do is only limited by our imaginations. And it ends with this. On his knees. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. And look at this. Forever and ever and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. What does that mean? It didn't stop 2,000 years ago. It won't stop 2,000 years from now. It's, it's not limited to the past. It's, not, it's, it's in you now. Forever. Forever.